Hey, greetings and welcome to uh, Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and it's been a long time since I talked to these uh, good, good friends, but I'm here with my good buddy, Richard. Yeah, hello. And Michael. Howdy. Uh, Richard and Michael uh, debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of a variety of uh, subjects. And uh, this time around, it's a subject that I just kind of picked out of <laughs> the ether. Yeah, Actually, where no, did this come from? <laughs> I was watching Midnight Run. Uh, and anytime okay. Midnight, Midnight Run is one of my stop stop what you're doing and, and watch it kind of movies. Um, and uh, so this uh, time, the uh, uh, topic is the Mount Rushmore of Charles Grodin. Oh, oh no! Uh, <laughs> oh, can, can we do a can we do a Grodin uh, episode at some point? Because I, I would so. love to just talk about Clifford for yeah. forty five minutes. Yes. Uh, or, didn't, uh, he also, yeah, didn't he have a nighttime talk show for a little while? Also, um, uh, yeah, Beethoven once through four. Uh, so yeah, Ooh. no, Mount Rushmore of Robert De Niro, and uh, I think Robert De Niro has uh, become a. a cornerstone a foundational aspect of of american culture and cinema culture i think he's one of those artists who is is enjoyed perhaps around the world and respected around the world yet he's also one of those artists that has done as much um interesting work as he's done good work so uh yeah, i'm just i love i love the use of interesting there <laughs> nice nice phrasing jeff yeah very delicate uh, you never you never know who might be listening you know yeah. you know uh <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I would love to just jump right in and uh, I would I love to go we... first. I would love to go uh, first. Absolutely. On this one, if you absolutely. Don't mind. I don't I don't mean to I know Richard is I the... object, Your Honor. <laughs> Richard is I didn't the know. only one that is um uh, canonically uh quasi Italian. Yeah. Uh, still debatable. And name <laughs> right. I think his name might be uh made up at some point. Well what's funny um, is we did uh Mount Rushmore yeah. of Italian nicknames and we did not consult uh, <laughs> uh Richard to see if the uh the Fresno uh, uh, branch of the, the Italian Mark. Mark. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, he, I'm glad just I'm just we, glad you're still alive, Richard. We control all the raisins, okay? <laughs> Michael, what's well, your it's first funny? One? It's funny on yeah on that last uh, the last episode that we did uh, about uh, mobster nicknames. Uh, none of us were like um, you know, uh, 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 uh you know the the knife wielder uh tatsuko all of it was italian no none of us went into like the uh yakuza oh, the yakuza or, like, yeah. or, like, uh, all you know uh i think uh, that just speaks to the oh yeah quasi racism involved um that's okay a, so uh i robert janeiro is such an interesting choice of topic because i can't think of another american actor who uh has made so many movies that I've seen such a low percentage of that is regarded as like one of these, like, like you said, cornerstone actors. Like I was looking through like his filmography. He's made like over a hundred movies. And of course that includes like early stuff, you know, before, um, you know, uh, he kind of hits it big with um, uh, what mean streets, right? Uh, is it mean streets? Is that his first one with Scorsese? Yeah, Whatever. It is. Movie, yeah. Um, and he's just got this list of films and this guy just works and just works and works and puts out movies and uh, has had such an interesting swath of films. I'll use that word interesting again, but I feel like, I don't know what any of this is. I've seen the ones that are important. I feel, mm -hmm. but so meet the so much, 
<laughs> I've never seen any of the Meet the um, franchise um, films. Although I did see like the, um, you know, that like animated version of it that so people, so many people have like clinged on to that they're not kidding. Um, <laughs> the Meet the Falkers would have been if it came out in 1982. There would have been a Saturday morning cartoon that was like the oh Falkers yeah on abc with baby like fuckers to, yeah, yeah next to like cubert and um <laughs> dungeons and dragons or whatever it was <laughs> um so he, i can't but like look just looking through like his list of films and i don't know if my list is all since it's robert de niro it's not just films it's kind of de niro ish sort of things i had to like break it down into like okay a, a comedy a drama, a weird one, and then mm. mm-hmm. my wild card pick. But I'll go with my first pick, which is a comedy. And just because you mentioned it off the top, um, Midnight Run, where oh, yeah. he, sure. he is such an interesting comedic presence just mm-hmm. in his films that even though he's, except the films where he goes really broad and really big all of his comedy stuff is really like wry. Like he kind of has like all of his smiles, which are kind of like the side of his face. And he's always still dangerous, even as like a comedian. Like he's never like, he's never super lovable or in the things where he is lovable, he's still dangerous. Or when he's super dangerous in something, he's usually pretty lovable in a weird way. He's got like just this way about him on screen and just in his roles that like, even when he's like a, an awful gangster, you kind of root for him in a weird way. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But in this, in um, Midnight Run, you know, he's playing against uh, Charles Grodin, who is so good and like kind of panicky and manic and always trying to get out of it. And he's very, you know, he's the straight. It's funny because it's a movie where they're both straight men in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, no one is over the top, but it's just so he's just so good at in this bounty hunter role and uh it's 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 one of my favorite of like the 12 to 17 films that i've seen it is it's one of like i think my favorite ones as a comedy you know I what agree. part did you yeah. what part did you pick up midnight run in when you were watching it the other day was it just in the middle of it and you just watched it like a some like crazy boomer that you just have it was flipping through channels like, it was right the at the person? beginning it was oh, right great. at the beginning and he was getting his uh uh his collar stolen by who we'll discover is the doofusy bad guy. Um, and then he ends up getting it back, but it was kind of right at the beginning. And um, I, I agree with you in that. I think De Niro uh, knows enough about um, the on the bigger, I think, I think he's become enough. He knows enough about the story to know that he needs to be uh, the wall that people bounce off of or that comics play off of and yet he can still play play things for timing like a, a good dramatic actor still knows still has comic timing and he, he knows he's in a comedy yet he knows if he smiles it's over um mm-hmm. uh in and uh even though that character is a little bit more playful than uh some of the other characters that he he's played um he's he's uh, I think De Niro knows like Tommy Lee Jones has to be the straight guy in uh, men in black <laughs> you know, or right. 
or Will Smith isn't going to be as funny. You have you have to think this guy um, is can can do the stuff. And yeah, I, I do find it interesting in looking at his career is that uh, w- one thing I feel about him is he spent about 25, if his career has been about 50 years old, he spent a good uh, six years kind of creating the career that we remember him for now between Mean Streets and The Godfather. Yeah. And, and um, Once Upon a Time in New York. Or, uh, he's, America, yeah. Sorry, he's he's spent that time creating this this career, and but since then he's done these. He's almost done work that almost uh, is challenging. It you know interesting work that is in which he's almost straight faced, um, winking at his earlier career. And I feel like this was one of those movies that was in danger sometimes of doing that because it was a buddy comedy, you know. But um, yeah, I. I I, it's one of my favorite, favorite films. And uh, uh, it gave birth to one of my favorite books, which is Charles Grodin's autobiography. <laughs> and most of the first volume of his autobiography is about Midnight Run and, deal- and dealing with Robert De Niro. And uh, it's so fun to see uh, or to hear him describe what it's like to work with Robert De Niro, the intensity that he takes with everything, how he's always going to be Robert De Niro you know, even in long, like the, well, anyway, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I love that. I love that film. I love that film. So it just shows, I think, how well he is at playing his instrument within a comedic um, composition. So even mm-hmm. though he, he's got to play his violin <laughs> the certain way, you know, um, he, he, he knows the big picture of it. So Richard. Yeah, no, my, my first choice is very similar. It was just, it was just simply written down as Robert De Niro, comma, comedian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very okay. Uh, because I'm not sure that he's actually a good comedic actor in as much as he plays everything as Robert De Niro would play yeah. it. Yeah. And they just construct the movie around that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like here's the anchor of the movie is Robert De Niro. And he's going to give you a Robert De Niro performance. And then we're going to build everything else about the movie around that performance to try and prop it up or use that as the the pillar that kind of mm-hmm. that everything else kind of plays off of. I mean, I don't, yeah. when I, when I see Robert De Niro do a comedy, I don't, it's not like he's doing pratfalls. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't, Jeff, you would know you're, you're the actor of the, <laughs> of the group. Is he a good comedic actor? Well, what like I think actual it, comedic actor. Well, when you listen to his timing, so if he's working with um, Eddie Murphy you know, in Analyze This, his timing is impeccable. Like his hmm. timing what movie is, is that with Eddie Murphy. That's See, that, that's the thing. Yeah, so he's working with comics, and he has to know, even though he's playing um, a serious instrument and Eddie Murphy's playing a, a comedic one. They have to keep. They have to be on the same tempo together, and that that fundamental element of of rhythm is, I think, the the, the soul of comedy. So, right. I I think he is good at. Oh oh, and, and if you ever listen to um um uh, Scorsese talk about shooting Casino, so Casino, he's playing opposite uh, Alan King, um, Don Rickles. Sure. Uh, uh, um, Scorsese says there were two rival gangs 
in uh, the part of New York that they grew up in. There was the gangs that would beat you up and there was the gangs that would make fun of you. <laughs> De Niro was part of the make fun of you gang. <laughs> De Niro was part of the gang that would say mean stuff about people. So uh, yeah, I think he's at his soul, he is, uh, he loves comedy. He loves um, the, uh, the, um, the aggression of comedy because comedy is a, is a, an antagonistic art form, <laughs> you know, um, that requires precision, you know, like a martial arts or something like that. So I, I would say, I think he's a great comedian in that he knows the rhythm of comedy, but he knows that he is at best a bassoon. He's not <laughs> okay. a mm. slide whistle. <laughs> he, he is uh, a, a component of the, uh, the orchestra that needs to be very, have a, a, a really tim a timber that is very authentic or real so yeah but right you think of like is he the king of comedy you know so when when he plays a person trying to play a comedian when he plays an aspiring comedian or somebody who wants to be in the milieu of the tonight show like he does in the king of comedy that's fascinating to me too right. because it shows how tone deaf he the, he's playing a character that is tone deaf to comedy yet is kind of trying to achieve achieve it or be accomplished in the world of of comedy so that i think is very interesting yeah the one that i would suggest is probably separate from that in terms of the performance and i haven't seen it but i'm just guessing based on the reviews i read and everything else was dirty grandpa oh yeah <laughs> which came out in 2016 where he just plays yeah. this lecherous old coot. Yeah. Um, I suspect that one's a lot more broad yeah. than, uh, than the king of comedy. Yeah. I, I just, for me, it's so funny. Like when I was a kid or when I was th the putting the most of my naive energy into being an actor, meaning like college, uh, people lauded De Niro cause he was the guy, he was the Sphinx. He was, uh, Marlena Dietrich, like he didn't, or Greta Garbo, he didn't want to talk about his work. He wanted to be left alone. He wanted the work right. to stand for itself. And he still doesn't talk about the work that much, but it's kind of like he's, he's maybe he has spent the latter part of his career letting us know that although he's given tremendously authentic performances, he's not a gangster. <laughs> he's yeah. not a criminal. He's not that, he's not, um, uh, the senior Corleone, I'm forgetting his name, uh, Vito Corleone. He he's he's just an actor, you know. Uh, but he was he was doing those roles with such authenticity and such believability that when he parodies those roles, <laughs> that when he becomes a parody of a of a brilliant actor, it feels bizarre. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dirty Grandpa. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, certainly the height of his career. You know, he, he, I'm sure his, he told called up his agent and said, "I got to work with that Zac Efron kid." Yeah. <laughs> well, what I think, what I fascinated by, so uh, maybe we should move on, and I'll, I, I have a little bit yeah. of commentary when we get, when we get to uh, uh, Michael. What's your second one? My second pick is, um, uh, are you talking to me? <laughs> are you talking to, like? Uh, yeah. the fact that he has such an iconic line of dialogue that has been so parodied that has generated an entire generation of people who think they can do a Robert De Niro yeah. um, impression 
from something that is now uh, what forty something years old. When did uh, yeah. when did uh, uh, seventy three? I think seventy six. Seventy six. So that okay. movie is close to Almost fifty years old. Year old. Um, that. And it's such an early performance, but I think it's almost something like something you said is he built up whatever his little carved into stone aspect of himself with like a couple of lines from a couple of movies and even the impressions of him. Like, I think when people do the, it feels like uh, we're on, we're like doing like the trip now, but when, um, when people do impressions of Robert De Niro, they do that. Are you talking to me? But they don't do yeah. it as him from taxi driver. They do it as him like he was on an episode of Saturday Night Live in like yeah. the mid 90s. Like it's so built into who he is as an actor or how he delivers lines, but it's put through this weird lens of something of an older version of him. But even that older version of him is 35 years old. Like yeah. I don't think of Robert De Niro as 80 years old. In my head, he is perpetually 52. Or something, yeah. or he's forty-five. There's some, there's some age in there where he's always older. He's always, you know, without children, mm -hmm. um, and he's, but he's not like the twenty-something-year-old taxi driver. Are you talking to me, guy? And I think that that yeah. one particular line uh, has kind of stayed with him because it has like this toughness and this intensity and this New Yorkness to it. That, um, I don't know, he, he becomes like this character type that you can do an impression of the same way that people, uh, it's like, a, I mean, I'm going to say John Wayne is kind of a similar sort of thing, but John Wayne only had one mode and it was the same yeah. character through like everything, but it was always right. the same. Hey, you're dead. That's just the way that John Wayne speaks in a it doesn't matter what role he was in, I don't think. And I yeah. think that when people think of De Niro, they think of that aspect of him because of that one line. And I think that his God, that's a that's a bread and butter thing. I mean, if he could mm -hmm. uh he could retire from acting now and just do like voice recordings for like Cirrus, like <laughs> or something, or like a, a Garmin uh, uh driving along the road mm -hmm. and, and like it could just be like some versions of like the three things that he's very very famous for yeah and like i feel like that's like, hey, the, well that's robert de niro i feel like that's the flip side of um i'm walking here like from from midnight cowboy here's yeah. a rated rated x film <laughs> from the yeah. 70s that uh dustin hoffman is saying but it feels like such a new yorkerism that these two outsider characters it, it's it's almost grown to represent a, a cultural uh new yorker stereotype i also think like like that, um, the, the iconic nature of some of the characters he's played. Like you could have that costume. Somebody could be on a Disney Channel show in a Halloween party, and you could see some kid wearing that costume. You have, you have <laughs> nailed. You have nailed this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so funny. Yeah. What, what do you got, Richard? All right, my second one is actually the first thing I thought of when this category or the, this topic was brought up, and I don't know why it was the first thing I thought of. Um, but it's the song Robert De Niro's Waiting. Oh, wow. By Banana Rama. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why, but every time I hear the name Bob, Robert De Niro, that's one of the first things I think of is the song. Oh, wow. Great song. 
a very underrated band. I think people kind of remember them from Venus or mm-hmm. whatever, but had a lot of bangers in the eighties that they co-wrote. Yeah. I didn't know that they were, well, I didn't did. know before. Yeah, they were, they were, they were the co-writers of Cruel Summer, they... most of their songs. Yeah. Oh. Including Robert De Niro's Waiting, uh-huh. which was originally called Al Pacino's Waiting. Oh, wow. But then they decided that Robert De Niro flowed off the tongue a little bit better. It's better oh, rhythm wow. for the, the the cadence of the song, which wow. I just find in, I find interesting with the whole Pacino versus De Niro rivalry or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, um, yeah. Research for this said that in "Bang the Drums, Bang the Drums Slowly," the role De Niro played was slated for Al Pacino, but um, Coppola had wanted him for for a uh, Godfather. So so somehow. <laughs> <laughs> they pulled Pacino from that film and De Niro slipped in and, you know, then, then later on De Niro would come in for two. But when, when we're thinking, when these uh, ladies are singing about this fantasy character, are they thinking of, uh, of uh, Vito Corleone from Godfather two, do you think? Cause he's talking Italian. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's probably an element of that. Mm-hmm. I think that they were, I think the song, when you when you read the lyrics and really pay attention to the lyrics, it's kind of a darker song than you you think of. Yeah, I mean, it really, is a song about this this person who's kind of withdrawn into this interior world and is engaging in this form of hero worship, mm-hmm. um, and kind of looking at the posters on the wall and kind of believing they're going to have a relationship with Robert De Niro, which wow. kind of which kind of is. I think ironic considering, you know, the, the whole taxi driver sort of, or king of comedy, he's known for playing these characters who kind of get drawn into these, maybe have unrealistic expectations of, of relationships with famous people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Obsessive. So, yeah, of so it's an inter- yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting choice for, for the, the person to name. Yeah. And apparently after the song came out, he made it known through channels that he was interested in meeting the band. Oh, wow. They decided the band decided to have multiple drinks before to work up the courage before meeting him, because they had no idea if he was happy about the song, mad about the song, what exactly he was. And I, I tried to do some research on this and I couldn't figure out how the meeting actually went, but they're all alive and well. So I'm assuming that it, (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, yeah. just it's it's an interest. It's just an interesting choice for somebody to. I mean, in the '80s, to be like your this is who I'm. This is who this character is dream, fantasizing about. Because mm-hmm. yes, De Niro was a leading man, but I don't see him as. I, do you ever really think of him as like a sex symbol, necessarily? It'd be interesting to look at the the people's top 10 of that era. Cause I think of yeah. the, the same, th- I observe the same, I have the same feeling about Brando when I look back at him. But if you saw any of the tabloids of the day, they were like, Brando was the number one sex of, the, right. of that era. So I can see yeah. him maybe falling in that same uh, category of this dreamy, vaguely f- foreign kind of character. Um, yeah. And- there's something, there's something kind of, I would imagine if you're that character and for whatever reason, you know, you're very shy and, and, and retiring and and kind of living in a fantasy world of your own, you're looking for a 
someone to fantasize about that's like kind of very projects strength mm-hmm. and that's yeah. definitely what robert de niro projects as a actor yeah so i yeah. i would imagine that's another reason why you would name check robert de niro and not like i don't know wallace sean <laughs> wallace sean's way Wally Cox. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it doesn't seem to just roll off the tongue quite as well but Jim J. Bullock is waiting. Exactly. <laughs> it's also interesting because it does seem almost like a part of a Brit's kind of fantasy about what New York was like, a gritty. Yeah, yeah, especially in the yeah. 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think we're at our halftime, and um, uh, we'll just do a quick uh, direct to the website, uh, mountrushmorepodcast.com. And YouTube, where all of all of our podcasts are posted, they're a little bit uh, post a little bit after they're posted on by Richard on um, the podcast readers. So go check them out. And uh, if you do have a suggestion for a topic, we're still taking them. We'd love to hear topics. Uh, maybe another actor you want us to talk about. So and rate and review us. Rate and review us wherever you're listening to us. Rate and review us. It helps out a lot. Indeed. Okay. Cool. So even then if you just go around like, the neighborhood, you know, you, you walk around the neighborhood and sometimes you see like those garage sale signs. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, huge garage sale today. I love it. It's always huge. It's like, you know, can fill up half a drive, huge, huge garage sale. And, um, <laughs> you know, just underneath it, just take a piece of paper and just staple it to the thing or, you know, use, yeah. you know, kind of tape or whatever. And just say Mount Rushmore podcast and just draw like a thumbs up. It doesn't have to be a good thumbs up. Yeah. Or, or if you want yeah. to do like stars, you just write it, tape it around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. People, people go to garage sales. Absolutely. Gonna, that's, that's good, good viral marketing. Yeah. Good viral. That's very, very uh, yeah. grassroots. I like and it. They'll, they'll be in the or right if quality, you quality mindset for our podcast if they have a garage sale. Kind the, of, hey, a lot of people yeah. are walking around. and uh, Or what you can do is you take that garage sale <laughs> sign, turn it over. Right, yeah, and right on the back, right. Absolutely. More podcast three, and then if you want to even do the half star, <laughs> you figure that out. I don't know how to draw a half star. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I can only do the five. I can't do the one, two and a half. The half star. Oh God, that's yeah. You no, need to do it. Bring white out so you can white out half of the star. Do do or, a or star. Spray, spray spray paint template like a little template thing. Just yeah. make it, it yourself at home. Work on it for a little bit. Take a few hours to work out a spray paint template. <laughs> bring it around the neighborhood. Take down garage. This is very complicated. It's yeah, very... getting. Uh, just go to the garage oh. sale. They've got some broken stuff. To just eat go. <laughs> they might you have golf balls. They got them. They yeah. might have an actual iPod and preloaded in it. Mount Rushmore yeah. podcast. It's all yeah. There and all... <laughs> we that deal with uh, Apple that we did, like you two. <laughs> Really I love that uh, you two had the uh, I don't know which version I, I iPod six or whatever preloaded, and the uh, the uh, the New Las Vegas Sphere came preloaded with you two. Did you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the owners uh, took ownership of possession of it, and you two was just sitting there. Fuck, that's there you go. You you put Robert De Niro's face hugely blown up on the Las Vegas Sphere, but it's it's like solely connected on like the his. A birthmark that thing right there. <laughs> just really just really heavily intensely and just spins all day yeah. uh michael what's your third yeah uh my third choice is um my dramatic role for um 
Bob De Niro. I'm sorry, Bobby De Niro. Bobby, 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 De Niro. Bobby, 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 Bobby. I love when I love when uh, people are so familiar with uh, him, like Martin Scorsese is, that he is mm-hmm. not Robert. He's Bob. He's Bobby. He's Bob. And they just talk to him like that. And you know, you know who they're talking about yeah. because uh, that sort of intense friendship only leads to being able to call him that. I don't think yeah. people can. I don't think people can call him that unless. Oh, you got to be Marty. To, it has to. It has to go through a scene. Uh, like in the Goodfellas, mm-hmm. or just Goodfellas, not okay. the Goodfellas, like the okay. Facebook, but Goodfellas. I probably the movie of his that I've seen the most. Yeah. Um, because of how good, like not just everything is in that movie, but how good he is, and I think it came back to that sense of he of, he is menacing and vile, but so likable, mm-hmm. even in the scene when he's sending uh, off. Uh, uh, what's his name's wife to go find the furs down the hallway oh, yeah. past like yeah. past the pinball machines and everything, you know, he's going to try to have her killed, but he's just so likable and he's just going to yeah. take things off and whatever. But um, that movie, he's so, he's so good in everything about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's like his most, I don't know if it's necessarily his most iconic role in the sense that, um, Raging Bull or Taxi Driver or even something like Cape Fear where he plays like visually interesting characters, right? I think in this one, he is, this is like when you're set in stone, when you're getting buried in the ground, whatever they say, the first line of whatever it is on your, yeah, on your uh, obituary. Like I think Goodfellas is just kind of above all, everything else, even though he's won the Academy Award for other things, I think mm-hmm. his um, his portrayal is like this father figure amongst these other two guys, uh, this leader of this, he's not even like the mob boss, but he's just like this enforcer, but he's like the leader of like this, this little trio. Uh, it's just so good and so perfectly acted and perfectly done. There's nothing wrong and I think sometimes could be, you know, director could be whatever. He is just this amazing centerpiece mm-hmm. of the film that um, it's amazing that he didn't win anything for. It. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I I think one thing that I kind of mourn a little bit uh, when I hear, you know, when I hear. Um, Scorsese talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and these superhero movies and how they're not cinema. Well, Scorsese and Coppola both took a B-movie genre, the gangster film, and elevated it to drama, to an A-movie. So mm-hmm. they were able to take um, cartoon characters. The, uh, the, Italian, the, the mob, those people as depicted in those films are characterizations, and they're, they're as pulpy as a comic book. Um, and it just kind of um, obviously, you know, Scorsese and De Niro have done such a have such a body of work that you know they are entitled to every opinion that they want. But I feel like just like um, uh, Mark Ruffalo is not really the Hulk, <laughs> you know, De Niro is not really this this seething powder keg of of uh, of anger and violence that Jimmy the Gent Conway is. But we believe it so much that it is 
essentially marred the rest of his career when he wants to do a romantic comedy, <laughs> you know, with sure. wants to do a romantic comedy with Meryl Streep or Jane Fonda or just a fun movie with Anne Hathaway. We think he's going to kill everybody in the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, just because he did it so profoundly. And the one thing I, I think that I love about Goodfellas that uh, he's done in a couple other films is he ages so well in movies. It always seems like they mm. do something to to make him young, other other than in um, The Irishman, which it was all crazy CG stuff. Like in, uh, in Goodfellas, like in the beginning, they make him look younger, just like by putting stuff in his hair, you know, uh, formula and then yeah, and they make him look older just by putting some gray in his hair but in the end in the scene where you talk about where um uh he's telling uh uh um uh he's i'll look he's, it up uh yeah he's uh, lorraine bracco uh, to, to karen go yeah he's selling karen. karen uh to go go grab a dress you know he's wearing these glasses that make his eyeballs look bigger <laughs> you know uh so it's just so it's just so freaking awesome just how well he ages and how cool he looks just with mm. a little bit of makeup and stuff like that. All right, uh, Richard, what do you got? All right, third choice is uh, method acting bullshit. Oh, that's mm. funny. Um, I couldn't really pick one Robert De Niro method acting insanity story. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I have a compilation of them, and I'll I'll let I think I think the one that is the most insane is in the Deer Hunter, where he insisted that a live round get put in the grenade or in the in the chamber during the Russian roulette scene. Holy shit! Now they they apparently checked it to make sure that it wouldn't be in the chamber when the trigger was pulled. Jeez! But I don't care. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It's called acting. Just yeah. pretend there's a real bullet in there and go from there. Yeah. You don't need to do this. Or even just stuff like in the movie New York, New York, which he did with Scorsese and Liza Minnelli. And boy, I imagine there's some stories to tell from, from the late 70s and those three being together. Um, he plays a saxophone player. Yeah. And he actually learned how to play saxophone so he could get more into the character. You don't need to do that, man. Yeah. <laughs> put the thing on there and you just yeah. pretend. Yeah. And it's fine. And nobody gives a shit. I just, I, I know we've talked about method acting before on the show. And De Niro is, I think, more so than Brando even, the number one example that gets held up of well, when you do method acting, you really understand the concept of who the character is. Yeah. And you lived who they are and you walked in their shoes. Look at De Niro and everything he's done. Mm-hmm. He gained 60 pounds for, you know, Raging Bull and he lost 30 pounds for Taxi Driver. And he went to live in Sicily for six months to do Godfather 2. And he's like, you, you're the problem, De Niro. <laughs> you're the reason why all these younger actors feel like they have to be pretentious a-holes in order to to successfully you know <laughs> navigate a part and so yeah as, as much as i think his performances stand alone and speak for themselves the methods that you need to take to get there seem like they're kind of bullshit mm-hmm. 
Um, this I is love the, the hot, idea hot conversation. Of, <laughs> yeah, of remaking a movie in a different country. Um, like I love the idea of like Travis Bickle as a London cab driver. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then all of the stuff is just Excuse changed. Me, are you talking to me? Yeah, what's all this? <laughs> Just everything just ter just terrible. It would be terrible, but funny. Like you could have have a mohawk, but it would be like one of like the nineteen seventies, mm -hmm. like high punk mohawks yeah. from like the kind of high era of like uh, English punk. Uh, that would be yeah. Great. Hobie from uh, what, what from would be the war Birmingham. that he came? Yeah, what would be the yeah. war that he came back that he was disillusioned from? Not quite the Falcons. <laughs> Something stupid. And Michael, what is your fourth? Uh, you know, at the top of the episode, we kind of talked about, like, uh, this guy, he takes so many different roles, or at least has in the his later part of his career, and weird heist movie roles, and just strange things. But I wanted to pick something that was just kind of really out of the ordinary form, because he's he does a lot of serious things where he's a cop, or he's a gangster, or he's, uh, I don't know, some sort of uh, figure of authority. Um, so I chose one where he was a captain and it's the movie Stardust where he plays Captain Shakespeare, a, oh, uh, a captain of a air pirate ship, um, where he plays it super broad cause he's also uh, a cross-dressing pirate and oh, he just, it's, it is ridiculous. It is one of those things where, uh, it is as ridiculous as seeing, Al Pacino in like Dick Tracy playing like a big boy Caprice. It's just, it's just, it's yeah. just nuts. You're like, I don't know why I'm, why he chose this. I don't know what, what the thing was with inside him that is tickled by this crazy dis depiction other than it's just something that is so he's, he's fine in it. He's goofy. He's silly mm -hmm. and you don't expect it. You know, he's an air pirate captain and like then all of a sudden it goes into this strange he's wearing like a big pink dress and mm -hmm. uh teaching people to dance and whatever it's just like very strange yeah very strange but i think that's uh wild that he has this in him that at some mm -hmm. point he just has decided i'm gonna make decisions for decision sake whether they're uh something like this or the aforementioned dirty grandpa or i could go down the list he just or like i'm gonna be in the rocky and bullwinkle movie like what are yeah why, that's that's one yeah why <laughs> are you sometimes these actors just start doing things yeah and you're just like boy you've earned it that you can just you're gonna do things now and yeah. there's no reason also for him to be on the cover of that poster <laughs> the, the role is so minor uh it is such a cameo sort of thing uh, he does not need to be there that you just brought up it's very strange and imagine seeing uh, I, that and then knowing like okay he's this intense what is he is he uh a king is he mm -hmm. uh some sort of other sort of uh, uh uh kind of threatening figure oh maybe he is a pirate no well yes but also totally wrong with everything else <laughs> I, maybe maybe he was just a big Neil Gaiman fan, Michael. I don't know. I yeah. would I would appreciate. I mean, if that was true, God bless. I find it compelling to know that De Niro has done a documentary telling the story of his father, who's I, I don't know if he was closeted homosexual, but uh, 
did a story about his father and to know that that um growing up with a a father who was uh being true with his identity or untrue or is challenged with having to keep it secret, but then also being part of the entertainment industry and, but then being pigeonholed into these certain roles that don't tell a broad swath of the ex human experience. <laughs> like if he's always playing these tough guys and cops and things like that. Uh, he plays a lot of reticent characters who have to have their story tugged out of them in the third act of the movie. So I wonder if it is like, are we seeing more close to the real De Niro, the guy who's there? who chose play acting as a career, you know, I, I, he chose make ups as a career. So when right. he plays these characters that have more of a fanciful um, outlook towards the world, I always wonder if that's closer to the real Bobby D, you know, than these tough guys he plays, you know, like think of like, a, uh, uh, okay, he's a vegan or he's a vegetarian. He plays jazz piano. He does yoga. Who is it? Clint Eastwood. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> who, 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 who would think that that this was this guy's life? But uh, he's just been pegged as this heavy for so long. All right. Uh, while our connection's still good, what's your what's your fourth? Before I run out of the internet that I yeah. prepaid for on my yeah. uh... oh drat. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um. So my last one's a story, and I mentioned that this is the set. I mentioned the Bananarama song is the second thing I think of when I think of Robert De Niro. Mm. This is the first. Uh, this is um, relayed through a good friend of mine um, who heard this from someone who they knew who worked as an assistant with a major Hollywood studio producer who I will not name for reasons that will become obvious in a minute. Solid, uh, um, solid intel here. Yeah. Yeah. So take this with a grain of salt. It's third person. So don't don't take this as, as gospel fact but from a reliable source. Um, the producer they worked for was, they were in the office one day and this producer was having a relationship with Robert De Niro's girlfriend at the time. Oh. And Robert De Niro's car pulls up to the production offices and parks and, and he sees him starting to walk towards his offices and the producer just freaks out. Oh my God, Bobby De Niro's going to kill me. <laughs> and literally runs into his office and hides and forces this assistant to try and deal with, with Robert De Niro, who won't say exactly why he's there, but just says he would like to meet with, with this, with said producer. Um, I would like to think if there's anyone who I'd be, who I would less like to see coming at me if I was sleeping with a girlfriend <laughs> than Robert De Niro. Maybe he's a, maybe he's a sweetheart at heart, but I think that that would not be something I would enjoy having a conversation with him. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the story. That's it. It's a small story, but I, I, I just love this idea of this mm -hmm. uh, big shot Hollywood producer cowering <laughs> because Bobby De Niro is literally going to kill him. Oh my God. Robert De Niro is literally waiting. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice one of my one of my favorite stories is the it's one of those roles where it was more fanciful for him, where he's kind of playing out of character. Um, Mad Dog and Glory, if you ever saw that, yeah, or, yeah, with Bill Murray, yeah, yeah, where he kind of plays a schlub and Bill Murray plays a crime boss or something like yeah. that. Yeah, um, and the costumer was saying. Uh, we would buy these expensive hand 
tailored Italian suits and put them on Bill Murray. And in a second, they would look like rumpled hobo clothing. <laughs> and we would get try to get the worst suit we can off the, off the rack at Sears. And you put it on Robert De Niro. And he just looks fucking badass. <laughs> like he just, right. He just, just looks like great. Um, and I just think that's yeah, just something, something about just his his identity too, uh, his mythos. Okay, so this was a lot of fun, and I appreciate the different points of view that we took uh, coming towards it, um, kind of extrapolating out on the mythology of Robert De Niro, and that was I think what the inspiration for the topic was for me for sure. But uh, before our signal tanks or we get popped off. So I'm going to do the winners are good fellas, chink, midnight run clank, uh, Robert De Niro's, ah, the Robert De Niro, ah, uh, Robert I, De Niro's waiting. I, let me see. Who can tell who, who knows these tell? days. You can't really see Robert De Niro's. We outing. Yeah. <laughs> and method acting bullshit. <laughs> Because I agree, that is as much part of his mythos as uh, the indulgences. Oh, I have to have silk boxers. Why? Because Al Capone wore silk boxers. Yes. But they're not, but they're not on camera. I'm going to have them, and they're going to be made by Taylor in Italy, because that's what Robert Al Capone would have. But they're not on camera. Fuck you. I'm Robert De Niro. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, uh, uh, gents, it's been so nice to see you again. I'm so glad we got to, together again. And audience, it's so great uh, to have you connect with us again, vice versa, actually. And this has been the Mount Rushmore of Robert De Niro. I always am Jeff. I'm Richard. <laughs>